0: Okay, so the worst grade you ever got on a, on a paper. Anybody courageous enough to shout it out? An F? Wow. And you're proud of that. I worked hard for that F. Anything else? What are the grades? Wow. And that, that kind of leads into my next question. I don't know if you heard that or not, but she said on her first college paper, she got a 12. And the professor wrote, I didn't even bother to read this crap. Right? No, so, yeah, let me ask this question. Do we have any teachers in the house? I know we have, um, okay. Well, I, see, I already asked you. I know what your answer is going to be. As a teacher, do you, in, do you sometimes enjoy correcting papers? I never enjoy getting that grade. You never you enjoy? Only a teacher <laughs> really like them. Yeah, that's great. Do you like, no. well, y'all, y'all have cute kids, right? So that's what it is. That's so funny. Yeah, so I'm just a third-year teacher, so I don't like giving bad grades, but give me another decade of these rotten scoundrels. <clears> huh? <throat> Worst grade you ever got. I don't even know why I asked that question. I'm kidding. I do know why. Uh, so we're, we're obviously in a series called We Are Family. This is um, part five, and if you've not been here for every one of those, here is the nutshell catch-up, recap, whatever you want to call it. Here we go. Here's what we've learned. And here's, if you were here, here's what you should have learned, okay? So now you'll, you'll know for sure. We have learned to this point, being in a family means, one, that we're accepted, and being accepted gives us a place. Two, that we're connected, and being connected gives us power. And three, that we're expected, and being expected gives us purpose. Um, it would be great, in all honesty, to end right there. Just stop the series and be done, because we're kind of on an upswing, aren't we? I mean, like... You're accepted, it's like, yeah, I fit here, I belong here. And you get connected to people, you get connected to the power of God. It's like, I got power, I could do stuff. And then you find out, like, okay, they expect stuff, but that's cool because that gives me purpose in my life. And it's just real upswing, right? And then, if we ended it here, it'd be like, yay! And now we have this week. Which talks about, well, correction, what, what happens, like, if, if we've got expectations for people, and we've talked about six expectations that, that God has of His children, right? So if we talk about what happens, we've got expectations. It's good that we have, like, the potential to do amazing, great things, but if we have the potential to do amazing, great things, we also have the potential to do, well, fail, right? How many of you like to fail? Yeah, not many people like to fail at all. So we got to talk today about what happens when the expectations are clear, and we don't meet them. What happens then in a family? And before we can even talk about like, what happens in God's, in God's family when we don't meet expectations, we've got to talk about what happened in your family and in my family when we didn't meet expectations. And I can tell you exactly what happened in your family and my family when we didn't meet expectations. Our parents gave us the finger. Well, not, not that finger. <laughs> not the, you just cut me off in traffic finger. They gave us the finger of shame, right? They, they gave us the, I can't believe you just did that finger. And nobody likes to get that finger, right? I've got a couple of pictures. Let's go to them. like, kids don't like to get that finger? Was that you? I mean, none of you are old enough to have lived in the black and white ages, right? <laughs> yeah, so, but nobody likes that. And then like, you grow up and you get a job. And even when you get older and you get a job, like, employees don't like to get the finger, I got the finger once from a, a, a pastor. Like, he, yeah, anyway, we'll just keep going. And not only that, you know who else doesn't like, like, dogs don't like to get the finger. Nobody likes to get the finger. I'm a little concerned that you seem to have more empathy for the dog. <laughs> right? Like, the kid and the employer, kind of like, oh, they probably deserved it. But that cute dog, right? Nobody likes to get the finger. And, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to talk for the next few minutes about what happens in the family of God. When we don't meet the expectations that He has for us, and we talked about six of them you can go back on the website and look at them when we don't meet those expectations, what, what happens, and what's going to organize what happens is God corrects us. But if we're not careful, the whole time I'm talking to you about God correcting His kids, you're going to think that God looks like this last picture. You're going to think that's God. And I just want you to know right up front, that is not God. We we can agree on that, right? That's just a really angry, bald guy. But in our heads, when we think correction, if we're not careful, that's what we're going to see. When I was growing up, I was in a youth group. And our youth group went to the old PTL. Anybody remember that? PTL over in Charlotte. And we went on this youth retreat. um, And we were like, we got this house where we sat in the house. And like everybody stayed in the same place. It had a kitchen. So the volunteer couple that went with us, she was in the kitchen and she was fixing homemade biscuits. Because homemade biscuits are awesome. So she's got the, the dough out, and she's got the flour all over her hands, and she's in there, and she's doing all stuff. And we're hanging out in the, in the living room, and we're watching TV. And I don't know why a group of kids would watch, like, televangelists. I think she put it on to hope that somehow it would invade us and change us. But we were watching this guy named Ernest Angley. Does anybody remember Ernest Angley? Okay, so Ernest Angley is like the guy that he's got. I'm not making fun. I'm kind of, but not really making fun. But, like, he had, like, this toupee Right? I mean, if you got one of those, fantastic. But his wasn't good. So, like, it, like, it flapped. And he would always say things like... He, he loved to pray for people to quit smoking. So, like, his big phrase was, Nicotine devil, come out! Okay? All right? And, like, he would, like, get into it, and, like, he'd stomp, and his thing's flapping, you know? <laughs> Bless him, Jesus, right? And then, like, if somebody came up and said, I can't hear... He would, he would pray for them to hear, he'd pray for them to be healed, and then like he would like he would like snap his finger, and then he'd say this all the time. Say baby. Baby. Say baby. baby. And then like eventually they'd be like, mah. Nicotine Govelled. You know, it's just all that he's like, he's just weird. So most people that have sense, they just notice these things. They, don't, they think things, they don't say them out loud, but you've had me as your pastor long enough to know that I don't think stuff, it comes out. Um, I try to filter, I tell Wendy all the time, she's horrified at the things that come out of my mouth, but if she knew like the 98% that doesn't, she'd be so proud of me, right? Um, so, but in this moment, I'm just a teenager, so I, they're thinking this Ernest Angie guy is crazy, and I'm thinking the same thing, but I took it one step further. I impersonated him. So I'm, I'm in there, like I'm doing the whole thing. Say, baby, say, baby. And all I remember is this, this woman that was in there, sweet little lady fixing us some homemade biscuits with flour all over her hand. She came roaring around, like running around. into the, And she got right in my face. And she started pointing that finger at me. Don't you make fun of the man of God. You're going to live with Satan forever. I mean, she's all in me. And like the flowers just coming off her hand and fingers. <laughs> like a cloud of smoke. It's the glory cloud. You know, whatever, right? Like, nobody likes to get the finger. Like, nobody likes to get the finger. And some of you have gotten the finger in church. Some of you have had pastors do that to you. Now, they probably didn't actually do that. But what they said, didn't it feel like that? If We went around the room and talked about, like, experiences that we've had with Christians. Like, some of us have brutal experiences with Christians. So, this morning, when we talk about correction, I need you, as best as you can, to get that image out of your head. Okay, Because I don't think that's what we're doing here. I know that's not the image of God. God doesn't correct like that, but he does correct. Okay, So here's what we're going to find this morning. Being corrected does not give us pain. Most of us would say pain because we've had parents correct us and it hurt. But what correction does, it actually gives us perspective. Man, perspective is something that we all need in our area. I don't know if you noticed this, have you noticed this, but there's been a lot, it's just seems like a lot of suicide lately, right? That's a huge problem. And, and you know why that happens? It happens because for just for a moment, people lose perspective. I mean, I spent 20 years working with teenagers. You know, teenagers, man, they'll make some of the worst decisions based on a bad perspective, right? Like she broke up with me. My life's over. I'll never have a job. I'll never get married. I'll never have kids. I'm a loser. It's like, okay, maybe, but not because of all that, right? Like, don't make a bad decision based on that. Just perspective, perspective. And sometimes we so need perspective in our lives. And God gives us perspective by giving us correction. You with me so far? Okay, so you got on your sheet of paper, if you've got, you got notes, three things that we're going to do. And the first one is this we've just got, we've got to correct our incorrect view of correction, okay? Let's correct our incorrect view of correction. Let me give you a couple statements, some scriptures to back it up. Um, I don't want to lose you here. I want to make sure you get this concept. Correction assumes that there's a right and a wrong. You with me so far? Nod your head. If you're a parent, you already know this, right? And, And I remember growing up, my parents used to say that one phrase that every kid hates. You never want to hear your parents say it because my parents would say, don't do this. And I would say, why? And they would say, say right. Did we grow up together in the same house? Okay, just checking. And the, <laughs> the reason why parents say that is because some, they know there's a right and there's a wrong and they're the ones that get to make that call. So when we talk about correction, you need to understand this. Somebody has, there's, a, there's a right and there's a wrong and correction assumes that somebody's making that call. You with me? Okay, so let's take that whole example from parents, and let's talk about God, who gets to make the call, who says there's right and wrong, who makes the call if we did what was wrong, and sometimes the reason why people in church and I don't know if I can say this, but going to sometimes the reason why we get our pants in a wad is because we get so mad and so offended that other people tell us that what we're doing is wrong. We don't handle correction well. Sometimes we don't give correction well. That's one of the things we've got to start to correct right here. So I've got a couple of verses. I just want you to, to jot them down. I think they're gonna be up on the screen. Luke 18, 19 is the first one. Now I just wanna I want to kind of paraphrase what these are saying. You can go back and read them again on your own. I just need to kind of build this case real quick, just a foundation about correction, because we can't go any further if we don't correct how we see correction incorrectly. So Luke 1819, the man comes to Jesus. And ask him this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Sounds like such a great question, doesn't it? And Jesus' reply was not what he needed to do. Jesus says something really curious. Jesus, you've heard of Jesus, right? Okay, have we heard of Jesus? Okay, so Jesus is God on earth. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect. And if anybody could have ever been called good, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus says to this man, why do you call me good? Uh, because you're Jesus, and if I don't, you'll kill me with lightning? <laughs> what? What? Um, you're wearing a dress, but yet you're a man. That's way I don't know, right? Why do you call me good? He said, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. Okay, so are you with me so far? Even Jesus says, don't call me good. And I think the reason Jesus said that is because he took on all of our humanity. And I don't mean to knock you or the person sitting next to you, but we ain't good. Okay. You with me so far? (laughs) That's not a fun part right there. Hang with me. So Jesus says, while I'm down here with you guys, don't call me good. There's only one good. His name's God. Now, James, James 4, 12. The writer, James said this. He said, there's only one judge, and his name is God. Okay? You see a common theme here? Jesus says, don't call me good, because I'm hanging out with you guys. And like down here, none of us are really good. Only God's good. And then James says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're judging everybody, but there's only one judge, capital J. It's not Judy. God can judge right and wrong. Only God can judge right and wrong. So here's what that means, okay? When we judge each other, and there are times that we will, and there are times that we probably should. We'll get to that in a minute. But when we judge each other, we're not really able to judge right from wrong apart from God. All we're really doing is judging different levels of wrongness. Here's what I mean by that. We're so bad about saying, well, your sin's worse than mine. Well, I I mean, I've lied before, but I've never done that. Well, I got a paper and it had, you know, I made a 67, but I never made a 12. I never had a professor say my stuff was crap, not worth reading. See, when we judge each other on this level, all we're really able to do is make judgment calls about who's less or more wrong. So it doesn't mean that we can't judge, but it sure does mean we better be humble when we do it. It We need to have a view of God when we do it. It means, and I'm going to give you some tools in a minute how we can judge, but it means that we better have an understanding from God's perspective. So sometimes, as a parent, have you ever seen your kids argue and you knew instantly that they were were all wrong? But, I mean, they would have sworn at gunpoint that one of them was right and it was them. But you knew because you're the parent. All of you are wrong. Like I have said to my kids, what are you doing? You're fighting over, you're all wrong. That's kind of how God looks at us. We're correcting each other about stuff. I've, I've heard my kids correct bad grammar, and they didn't have the right grammar to correct the grammar with. Or, you that's not what that word means. And I go, what do you think the word means? And they give me the wrong definition too. It's just like, what? Like, you can't even correct each other. That's how we are sometimes. So it's important to understand that, right? We cannot, we don't have any standing to judge one another outside of the perspective from God. Here's a couple verses I want you to write down that just shows the right view of correction. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 says this, I'm paraphrasing, that God disciplines those that he loves. And that's really, really important because a lot of us have been disciplined by people that didn't love us, right? Um, I love three-year teacher, right? Three-year teacher, like, I love my kids. Like, you know, I mean, I love that about young teachers, especially. They're just, they would adopt that whole room. And every year they get a new room, I'll adopt you too, and then I'll adopt you too. And they go broke by presents for kids they have for one year. Sometimes the longer teachers teach, they don't feel like that anymore. Like the discipline that they give to their students, the correction they did, the notes they write on, it's like, I don't really have your best interest at heart, I'm just really sick and tired of this job. <laughs> so this is crap, not going to read it. But God's not like that. God doesn't discipline us because he's tired of us or or frustrated with us or doesn't want to hang out with us anymore. He's like, he's sick of us. He disciplines us because we're his children and he loves us. That's what Hebrews says. Just changing the way we view correction, okay? Hang with me. Proverbs 29 15 is kind of an interesting verse. I don't think that I'm stretching it too much to tell you what I think it says. Um, It says that correction can't happen on our own, although it doesn't say it like that. Let me read it to you. Proverbs 29, 15 says this, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. And all that means is never leave your kids alone in a department store because nothing good's going to happen, right? Kids on their own don't typically make good choices, but it also means this, like we don't get corrected alone. People that don't like correction, you can't be a part of a body because correction happens in community. This is why we do community groups. And I've, I've been a part of community groups ever since we started the church. I can think of no times that I've ever been in a community group and felt condemned. But I can think of many times that I've sat in a community group and I have felt corrected by the Word of God coming from somebody else. And it's kind of like, oh, ugh. This feels terrible until somebody in the community group goes, I've been there too. And, oh, it happens in community, okay? Correction comes from a loving father. Correction doesn't happen on our own. Proverbs 12:1. I think, and I'm not really paraphrasing here, says that those who don't heed correction are stupid. I know you parents tell your kids not to use the word stupid, but it's right here in the NIV. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I don't want to be stupid, right? So I want to accept correction. And in Matthew 16, 23, as if we can't see already that correction is biblical, Matthew 16, 23, Peter comes to Jesus, and he confesses that Jesus is Christ. This is a really, like, you know, this is one of those great church moments, right? When you know you've got the answer, like somebody's asked you something, and you know you have the answer, and you tell them the answer, and you're like, this is going to be fantastic. And then right after that, Jesus has to rebuke Peter. And he corrects him by calling him Satan. Satan. I'm not saying you should correct people by calling them Satan. That's totally your call, whatever you want to do. But that's what Jesus did. He called Peter Satan. Correction is biblical. It happens all the time. We've got to see it through that lens. Okay, are you with me? Yes, we're going to keep going. No, I'm going to start over. Are you with me? That's what I thought. Okay, so here's number two on your sheet. We're going to talk about how we're corrected and why we're corrected. How are we corrected and why are we corrected? We're corrected by the word of God. How does God correct his kids? This is so key for us. Because here's how we correct each other. Now, we're, okay, I'm not saying that we're all saved. But if all of us in this room are following Jesus, then we're all God's children, right? That's the way it works, right? You with me so far? It's not a hard thing. So, as God's kids, we start having little spats. I'm not, not we, just the, the, the collective church we, right? We start having these spats about trying to correct each other because you're wrong and you don't see it the right way, but I'm pretty sure I see it the right way. And all we usually do is correct each other based on preference, right? I don't think you should drink. I don't think you should be a state fan, and I'm starting to agree. I'm not... I'm, do I believe in backsliding now? What? Uh, you, you keep saying go camp Paul. I don't know if that's godly. Uh, maybe not. I'm, I'm not sure we should have chairs. We should have pews. I don't know why we have brick. I don't know why we do lights. What's with what the lights? Why do we have? Watch, pick orange. You should have picked yellow. We've, we correct each other based on preference. My favorite is you shouldn't talk about those people. And then you go talk about other people. <laughs> so, I love it. I love it, right? That's all we really are able to do. So I'm saying this. We are not adequate to judge one another just based on our preference because my preference is never going to match yours and yours is never going to match mine and we're always going to be going (laughs) about it, right? So how does God correct his kids? He corrects his kids with his word because this is the only thing we have that does not change. This is truth. Whether we like it or not, this is truth. And this is how God judges, how he corrects his kids. Let me give you a couple that you can jot down. I'll read them to you. Proverbs six twenty three says this. For these commands, which is the Bible, these commands are a lamp. This teaching, the Bible, is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Romans 15, 4. Paul wrote this. For everything that was written in the past, and what was written in the past for Paul? The Old Testament, right? So our Old Testament was Paul's, everything that was written in the past. He said everything that was written in the past was written for one reason, to teach us. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the Bible. Like, you ever hear people say, I don't like the Bible, it's boring? You ever feel like that? That did not describe a boring book to me. And if you're ever on the receiving end, it's not boring at all. It's like, oh, jeez, God wrote that about me. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How much Scripture? All. All Scripture, even the parts that we don't like. It's all God-breathed. It's all useful for correcting and training in righteousness. So I'm going to make a statement that's going to sound like it's not true, but I think it is. I'll explain it in a minute. Here's the statement. I believe the power of the Bible to correct us is something that everybody agrees about. The power of the Bible to correct us is something that everyone believes about. Not just every Christian. everyone. And here's how I know. Ask me why. Because they're not here. See, I think that people know if, if I go hear the word of God taught, it's going to correct me. I'm not sure I want to hear that. I don't think I'll go to church today. Now, I'm not knocking them. I'm just making a statement. Here's why I think they don't want to come to church. Not just because the Bible is powerful and something about the Bible can expose us because I think what we'll learn is if we can correct people in the right way, Jesus did it all the time. Jesus had this great way of telling people what they were doing wrong in a way that they wanted to know how to do it right. But the church typically does this. We take this amazing tool that we just read about. Hebrews said it's like a double-edged sword. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. And what we should be using as an instrument for life, we use like a hatchet. And we just start chopping at people with the truth all the time. And here's the thing. It hurts them because it's powerful. We just read it, Hebrews 4.12. The Bible is powerful. It's going to cut people. And so we, we wield it like a hatchet when we should hold it like a scalpel. And so I believe that people don't come back because we don't know how to handle the Bible right. That if as believers we could handle the word correctly, people would want to hear more of it. Because it would expose them not only to what they're doing wrong, but to who they really are. And at the end of the day, you know what we really want? We really want somebody to see us for who we really are. Because isn't it tiring to pretend? 2 Timothy 2, 15. Paul was writing this to Timothy, teaching him how to be a pastor. We'll just start in verse 14. He said, keep reminding them of these things that he had just written. He said, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. That's a great, great verse. And then verse 15, he says this. Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Listen, God is gonna correct his kids by the word of God. So even when we have conversations Because preferences don't line up. Man, if they're based in the Word of God, I've had these conversations all the time. I've gone up to people and and I've had them come to me and I've said things like this. I hear you say this. I see you do this. I know you love Jesus. This is what the Bible says. You got the same Bible. How do you wrestle with that? How is it that you're asking God to bless your marriage while you live together waiting to get married? Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't know how that works, but I can't hatchet you over it. I just have to say, like, how? It's just called conversation, right? I get to have conversations all the time with people who don't agree with me. I love that. And if I wanted to do this to them, they would be dead. But God is trying to correct people with the Word of God. The question is, why? Why does God want to correct his kids? Is it because he wants to be a good parent? Have you ever corrected your kid because they were embarrassing you? So Okay, I'm the only one, so we'll just move past that. You better straighten up I'm a pastor, right? I can, I, you know, I can say this. As God is my witness. I've never said that. But I have corrected my kids because they were embarrassing me. I didn't correct them for their better good, but for my good. Again, let's just change the way we see correction. God does not do that. He does not need you to make him look good. He's already good. He doesn't correct us because we're ruining his image. He corrects us for something better. And here's what it is. We're corrected by the word of God. And here's number three on your sheet. And we're going to wrap up. We're corrected for the work of God. So he corrects us with his word for his work. He's got a reason that he wants us to be corrected. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We read it earlier. Verse 16, where it talked about, you know, all scripture is good and it's God-breathed. And here's why it's good for correcting. Verse 17, so that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, the kids of God, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And God is correcting us. Not because he's mad at us, but because he wants something so much better for us. And by now, everybody's like, I'm brain dead. I can't listen anymore. Shut up. And so I'm going to. We're going to end the service watching a video. that if, and if, <laughs> You should have been in the first service. Ask me why. First service, I built this video up so big. I mean, it was amazing. It was like, it, this is the best video ever made in the history of making videos. And then there was no audio, so we couldn't watch it. How, how great is that? It's like, psych! But now there's audio. This literally, if I, could take, if, I could have, if I could have called up producers and said, here's what I'm teaching. Make me a video to wrap it up. This is the one that they would have made. It's about 11 minutes long, but you won't feel like it's 11 minutes, and I'll come back up and we'll close.
1: Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you. But when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
2: Hi. Whoa, who are you? I'm God, you said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am, you said the prayer, that's how it works. Okay, okay, if you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what, I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky.
1: Yeah, you're not God.
2: Why do you say that?
1: God wouldn't say yucky. I do, it's a Greek word. Oh, okay, okay, um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say?
2: Lamentations is only five chapters, it's a very short book. Huh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh,
1: okay, okay, if you're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year?
2: I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered
1: my question with a question.
2: I did? (sighs) Yeah, I do that, don't I? I did it again. (laughs) Step right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay, yeah. hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up, here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm-hmm.
1: How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave?
2: Be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me.
1: is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece.
0: Just before we take the time to respond, let me give you the big idea. We've talked for a lot about how man uses correction. Man uses correction to shame us. Shame is a powerful, negative emotion. Shame is the finger, okay? Man uses correction to shame us. God uses correction to frame us. Not criminally, (laughs) but as a work of art. So that when he's done correcting us, he takes us and he hangs us up for the world to see. So that the world looks at us and says, if he can do that with you, what could he do with me? And it is not easy. And I am not here telling you to enjoy it. But I am here to tell you that it's worth it.